for me, it often used to be to be able to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, wherever I want. And I think in some ways that's still true. But for me, it is really about the power of choice, being able to make the decisions that serve me and others and then just act on them. I think that is true freedom. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Natalie Sisson. In short, I've morphed from the corporate world to a online education business and blog to my own business now, which is really about helping, in short, women to get paid to be them simply by being them. So how do you tap into your skills, your expertise, your knowledge, and build a thriving online business around you that also fits into your lifestyle? Natalie was one of the very first bloggers and podcasters I became aware of when I was first dipping my toe into the world of online business more than five years ago. At the time, she produced a podcast called The Suitcase Entrepreneur, based on her lifestyle as a traveling, location-independent online business owner. While she has long since settled down and established a home base in her native New Zealand, the concept of freedom is still a driving force behind how she constructs her business and her life. Freedom is one of the primary reasons many of us choose to go into business for ourselves, which is why I'm so excited to have Natalie on the show. In this episode, we talk about the importance of defining freedom for yourself, For some, it's just the ability to be able to stop in the afternoon and read a book and not feel guilty about that. For others, it's about doing a 20-hour work week. For some, it's about taking what I do as well, which is Freedom Friday. So a total day off work where you get creative, you go hiking, you paint, you do whatever, but you're not working. And it's often one of the most nourishing and rewarding days. How Natalie works backward to intentionally build freedom into her days, weeks, months, and years We break down like the whole calendar. So we put the whole calendar up there, starting with your holidays, because I think they're the first thing to go. And then putting in the important things around it. And suddenly you go, I don't actually have that much time in a year if these are the big things I want. So let's stop there. And then we work backwards and put them into the quarterly goals, etc. And it was so freeing, actually, for people to go, I've never done this before and broken it down in this way that makes it feel accessible and like I can take action on it and it feels doable. And what she learned from taking a three-month sabbatical from her business. And at times it was hard because I was like raring to go to get into business, came up with multiple ideas and then reflected on all those and went, oh my gosh, and got confused. Honestly, I felt like I had an identity crisis during it, which I'm not saying was necessarily a great thing. But I think overall, in the end, it was a super positive outcome. And just taking that time for yourself to really go and ask the questions like, what matters to me? What's important to me? Who am I? How am I showing up in this world? And how do I want to go out of this world is really important. We all have our own reasons and motivations for wanting more freedom. But given what a defining force this quest for freedom has been in Natalie's life, I wanted to know what set that wheel in motion. Yeah, it's a great question because I think growing up in New Zealand, you do actually have a certain amount of freedom that is just inbuilt. And I think when I moved to England, London, and got a corporate job. And it was like this dream job on paper. And suddenly I found myself commuting every single day, um, long, well, not long hours, but just, just so much of my life wrapped up in work and it not being fulfilling and not being rewarding and not being able to do what I want to do to really make an impact. I think that was where I felt the most imprisoned, even though I was earning really well and I had a great social scene playing ultimate Frisbee, living in an amazing city it really felt like I was trapped. And so I think that was really the crux where I was like, I don't know how people do this all their life, this nine to five grind. I can't ever see it being something I want to do. 
and just took that massive action to quit. Like I think I was I was marginally depressed for me for about two weeks and I was like, that's two weeks too many. So it blows my mind when I see people going, oh, I hung in this job for three years. I was like, that's three years of your life you can't ever get back. And I think I just had that moment at like 27 where I was like, no. <laughs> so I actually booked the one-way ticket to Canada, which was pretty awesome. Never been there before to play World Championship Ultimate Frisbee. And I think it really started then. I was like, wait a minute, I want to be able to determine my fate, to be able to do the work that I want to do, to work the hours that I want to work, to have the lifestyle that I want. And from then on, it was just how do I do that? And I didn't necessarily get it right because I went straight into co-founding a tech company, which was huge hours and lots of hustle and lots of stress and too much coffee. But it was at least it was something that we were building and it was super fun and exciting. And then I got to a point as well as like, hmm, this also isn't ideal. Like these sort of 60 hour work weeks aren't what I signed up for. So that's when I developed my own blog and monetized it and went, great, now I've got this. I can technically work from anywhere. So where do I want to go? And I think that's honestly where it started when I flew off to Argentina and just went, how can I make this work and incorporate travel and being a tourist and being a business person and mixing that up, which we can totally talk about because it took a long time to find that formula of the elusive balance. Yeah, I think there's many different philosophies on that balance as well. Something that strikes me with your I mean, moving from New Zealand to London, London to Canada, starting a tech company, then leaving that and then starting your own you know, blog and, and going traveling. It seems like there's a, a clear through line of like what the freedom was that you were lacking. And I think something that I've heard you talk about before is that you talk to a lot of people who want freedom. Like, don't, don't we all want more freedom? That would be probably you know, something that any one of us who is, is listening to this is like, yeah, I, I could probably use more freedom. But when you've like actually asked them, okay, so what does freedom look like to you? What does that actually mean? And people kind of stall and are like, well, <laughs> I don't know, like just freedom, like if freedom is freedom. So like, how do you coach people and, and walk them through like actually defining like, what is the freedom that you're after? Because for you, it was, was clear that travel was something for some mm -hmm. people, they don't want to do that. But I, I think that having those clear like end goals of like what you're actually working towards helps you make decisions to get you there, obviously. Yeah. And it's so interesting you say that because I remember after about two years of being the suitcase entrepreneur and traveling the world, living out of a suitcase, and so many people were following me just because I think they were living vicariously through me. But then one person emailed me one day saying, God, I couldn't think of anything worse than living out of a suitcase, traveling all the time, never knowing where you're going next. And I was like, huh, that's a fair point. Like I suddenly realized there's a whole portion of my audience who might like go, well, that's cool. We'll follow you, but I'd never want to do that. So that's when I actually started diving deeper into what freedom meant to others. And I actually did a study on it, which was really interesting. I'm yet to sort of publish all those results and I'd love to turn it into a book one day. But what I found is that it was different for every single person. For some people, that's financial freedom, right? Like having enough to be able to know that you can support your family and friends and maybe not work for three months. For others, it was actually job freedom. Like they, they preferred the security of a job that gave them a sense of freedom because they had the stability of an income supposedly, um, and this kind of structure. And it was really interesting because the biggest thing I think that came back from it that I've learned over the years is that discipline is the key to freedom. So the more organized you are and the more discipline you have, the more freedom you have. And for everybody that came in in different formats. And I think it is really important to find your version of freedom. For some, it's just the ability to be able to stop in the afternoon and read a book and not feel guilty about that. For others, it's about doing a 20-hour work week. For some, it's about taking what I do as well, which is Freedom Friday. So a total day off work 
where you get creative, you go hiking, you paint, you do whatever, but you're not working. And it's often one of the most nourishing and rewarding days. Um, For others, it's to work from home. And so it is really interesting that I think it is a question that people need to define for themselves and really look back at when have they felt most free, because for some people that is with these security and constraints that they do. And the biggest moment that hit me, I guess, on my travels was when I literally had everything going great and I had more money than I needed because when you're traveling, living out of a suitcase, you don't buy much. My business was going super well. I had abundance of friends. I had huge opportunity and choice to go wherever. And it was actually quite debilitating. It was like too much freedom. So that was an interesting thing. Like I think people can have too much freedom and that's where constraints and boundaries really help. So when I moved back to New Zealand, it suddenly was like, oh, I'm in one country. So within one country, there's still a lot of freedom. And then I was like, great, I get to create a community here, get to settle in, I get to build up friendships and relationships. And suddenly there felt like an immense amount of freedom within a smaller country. And with closing my, not closing, but shrinking my boundaries, that was really interesting for me as well. So I think at different stages of your life, freedom will mean different things to you. And it's about constantly refining that and making sure that if that's your version of freedom, how are you living it? So when you mentioned there being that time when everything was going so great and you realized that there was this abundance of freedom or too much freedom, like what what did that feel like for you? And how did you get to the point where it was like, oh, like, were you feeling kind of unmoored or what was the kind of signal that something was off? And how did you work your way towards like, oh, this is the thing. I actually have too much freedom. I need more constraints. I mean, it sounds like such a terrible problem to have, doesn't it? I mean, oh, I've got too much freedom. But I think, as I said, it it did feel a little bit, debilitating is maybe not the right word. It actually felt quite scary because there was just so much, there was nothing that I couldn't do technically. That's what it felt like. Nuts, because then I was like, oh my gosh, there's no boundary, there's no anchor. (laughs) And I really had to revisit what was important to me. And at that point, I almost craved, like I really craved somebody just going, hey, Natalie, you can only travel in Europe. Like even at that point, it would have been really nice, (laughs) would have cut down some of my options. So I think it kind of got me stuck, which is ironic because I had more opportunity than ever. And it's, they do call it that it kind of paralyzes people. So I think it just, it got me to just sit and reflect and go, okay, great. How do I actually add in a little bit more constraint or boundaries? What's really important to me? How do I um, limit some of these choices so they can be much more focused on the ones that are important to me? And I've heard of other people who have the same challenge. So I think, yeah, I did just start putting some anchors in place. That's when I made decisions around better travel schedules, places that I did want to go, being much more intentional about tying in with conferences, events, etc. And also really sought more community so that I felt like I had a grounding place with friends, whether that was in person or online, just to give myself some sort of a, as I said, that anchor and grounding. Yeah. And I think especially for people who identify as creative, that abundance of choice it is can be completely overwhelming. And I know that like when I used to write music, I would have, I'd sit down at a guitar and just be like kind of stuck. And so at one point I was like, okay, like I, I mean, I'm in a rut here. Like what, what can I do to actually like kickstart the, the writing process again? And I was like, okay, well, I am going to try and write, you know, a song entirely on one string of the guitar. That's all I'm going to use just one string. And then I was like, once I did one, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of like an interesting little, like 
EP album type thing if I did one song that was written on each string of the guitar. I never actually published it or anything, but I did write the six songs and like produce them and they're like in half finished version somewhere. And it was like, as soon as there was that restriction, I was like, oh, this is easy. I don't have like all this choice and there's only so much you can do here. And so I think sometimes with those constraints, you're, especially for creative people, your like brain naturally starts, goes into like problem solving mode. And then it kind of kickstarts that creativity that then you can almost like pull back a little bit on the restraints and your brain is just off and running then. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I don't know if you've read the book, The One Thing, but it's all about focusing on the one idea that lights you up most from which everything else stems. And I know for a lot of people that that constraint or just narrowing it down to one thing seems really boring or limiting, but it is actually very, very powerful. On the times when I do it and do it well, it's so easy because it's the only thing you think about. It's the only thing you focus on. So everything just becomes super streamlined to that one thing and your ideas and your energy isn't scattered. It's just that it's so exciting to think on all these other ideas and have them. And I think there's no problem in being a multi-potentialite and having lots of ideas, but really going with the one that you think is going to make the most impact and be the most rewarding and have the most, yeah, I guess, emphasis in your life is really important. Yeah. I know one of the exercises that you've talked about before, and I've done this uh, probably not recently enough, but is the perfect day exercise and how that can really, really help you hone in on like, okay, well, what does my actual perfect day look like? And what probably freedom is built into that in some way. So I'm curious if you can kind of give us an overview of, of how someone can go through that exercise and, and what they would take away from it. I love this exercise. It's so much fun. And again, a bit like your question earlier about when you ask people about freedom and they don't know, this is another one. So I'd often used to say to somebody, well, if you could wake up tomorrow with no constraints and no monetary issues or boundaries, you know, what would you do? And people are like, oh, and they'll often start with, well, I'd wake up whenever I wanted, I'd maybe do some yoga. And then, you know, maybe I'll have a great breakfast. I'll hang out with my partner or my dog, or I'd go for a walk on the beach. And then you can kind of, there's two types there. I think at that point, some people go, Ooh, and they let their imagination go wild. And there's others who are like, Hmm, then I guess I'd go to work. And I'd be like, no, 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 you can do anything today. Like, what would it be? And the point of the exercise is to take about 30 minutes and literally write down as if it's happening. I wake up in the morning to this beautiful fresh fruit salad that my partner delivered to me in bed. And I've got this view of the ocean, if that's your thing. I read a great book. Then I get up and do yoga. I go for a run on the beach. And then we come back and have breakfast together, cooked by our chef. And then we work on, you know, maybe it's like then we brainstorm the super important event that we're going to create that's going to change people's lives and then we head off and socialize with people go on a bike ride whatever it may be right and it's incredible how many people don't think about what a perfect day would look like over and over and over again but once you do put it on paper what I find is that some people go huh I'm actually a little closer to that than I thought like I do live close to the ocean or maybe I live close to a swimming pool which is kind of similar I can actually get up a little bit later or I could cook breakfast with my family in the morning and take that bit of time and suddenly they're like, hmm. And that's the thing that I think is really exciting to people is they're like, okay, I didn't realize that was important to me. So how do I have more of it in my life? Or if I did a little bit more of that, I'd be closer to my perfect day. And it will morph and change once again as your life changes. But I think it's a really important exercise. It's fun. It's inspiring. It's exciting. You can share it with your loved ones. And the point is that once you actually state it and share it, you start moving towards it. And that's the beauty of life, right? What you actually think about is what you focus on is what becomes reality. Yeah. And I think that it's like you say, you're, you're often so much closer to it than you realize when you do this exercise. And 
probably there are some things, maybe your personal chef, like, okay, that's not something you, someone you're going to hire tomorrow and whatever. Of course, it's easy to like discount it. You go through it and you're like, well, this is impossible. And just, you put it to the side. But when you stop and think about it, you're like, well, okay, some of these things are like, maybe they're five years off. Maybe, maybe it doesn't take that long, but they're, they're in the future. But there are probably a whole bunch of things on the list that you could entirely implement over the next few weeks, few months, next year, something like that, especially when it comes to routine and things like that. And I think that one of the things that keeps people from building this freedom into their lives is part of me wants to say expectations from others, but I think it's actually perceived expectations from others that we think, well, my clients need me online at 9am in the morning or else like people are going to go crazy. Like the shit's going to hit the fan and like <laughs> the whole day is going to be ruined. And more often than not, I know I went through this where I was like, I, I need to be online all the time for my clients. And I think most people who have not worked with clients in the past go through something like that. And so I'm curious, like how in your experience, if you have a way to help people reframe that and kind of step back from like, okay, do other people actually expect this from me or am I putting this on them? That was such a good catch. Cause I think it is often perceived expectations. And I know I did the same early on. I was like, so easy when you have an online business for sure and even an offline to just be available all the time. And the thing that I found pretty quickly was that serves nobody because I get burnt out. I have less energy. I do less work. That's good. I don't help the client as much. And people actually really, really respect it. When you say I'm only available between these hours, this is the way you can get in touch with me. And my response rate is this people are like, Ooh, that person's got their shit together. And, uh, hope we can surround this podcast. And, Oh, I really respect that. And I think what I found when I started doing that was people did respect me more you could charge more as well because you just, not because of that, but because people appreciated that more. They kind of saw you more either as an expert or somebody in that space that had their stuff together and they wanted to learn from you in that. And it also just made you more effective, especially if you said, look, I'm only available Tuesday and Wednesday for these calls. It allowed you to structure your week then to work on the creative aspect, the admin aspect, the financial aspect, the team building aspect, depending on that. And it just suddenly ironically gave you more freedom and to make you more effective and productive. So I think, again, like you were saying, it's definitely a perceived expectation and it's up to you to design your life and your business. Otherwise it'll be designed by other people and you'll be upset, grumpy. You'll just, you know, you'll resent it. And that's not the point of why we do what we do. Yeah. And the other thing is like you, you, any of us train our clients and customers and all these people to behave how we allow them to. And so if we encourage people by responding within five minutes of every email we get, they're going to expect that then. And you're going to be stuck in this cage now that you've created yourself. Whereas if you you know, said, well, I'll respond within one business day, then that's the expectation. And if you set that from the start, that's good enough for most people. And I think a lot of times, you know, when we're starting out, we want to go above and beyond because you just hear that this is important, especially with small business. When you're just starting out, like you can't compete on a whole bunch of other things, but you can compete on customer service and going above and beyond. But you can only keep that up for so long. And kind of like you said, it doesn't serve anyone in the long run. I actually, in the, my last program that I, I went through and ran, Podcast Marketing Academy, I had one person who gave feedback afterwards. She was like, I really like the boundaries you set, how you had your, your team member, uh, who's Lindsay, my online business manager, she set up all the prompts and everything for the course. And like, yeah, she was in the Slack group and, and all these things where it was clearly like I was one step removed. And I didn't do this intentionally, but she said, I like how it set the tone that like you're available, but you're also kind of like not available for any single little question or anything like that. And I was like, that is such a funny thing for somebody to give feedback that I'm actually glad you weren't like available 100% of the time. And I think that that's probably way more common than we actually 
convince ourselves that it is. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Actually, it's great feedback because also it made her respect you more and go, cool. When I get a little bit of Jeremy's time, I'm really, really going to appreciate it. And that's something that I can learn as well, because I'm such a giver with my clients and students. I really love to be there for them. And they're often surprised at how much access they have to me, but it's only to my core students. Right. But even there, I know the same thing. If I'm there and I just respond and they respond quickly back, I'm like, I might leave this one because otherwise they're going to get that feeling of, oh, I can grab Natalie anytime, which you don't want to be the case because you do actually need your space (laughs) to think and to be able to deliver your best work. Yeah. And I I mean, I think that's one of the things that when you're on the other side of that, when you've transitioned away from that, you realize how much better everything is by you having, let's say, like a four hour block of time in the morning to just focus on the things that really matter for your business. And all of a sudden you like, once you've stepped back, you're like, oh yeah, if I batch all of my response to people in my program or my clients or email or whatever it is into like an hour or even two hours in the afternoon, like as long as I do that once a day, everybody's happy. And like, I'm more focused. They have more of my direct attention. I'm not getting pulled away every like 15 minutes to do one thing and then back to another. And you never get that deep focused work in. And so it's kind of like, if you can do it, like break out of the the rut that you're in kind of once with that, all of a sudden it's like immediately apparent, like, oh, this is just way better. My life is better. I'm delivering better work for everyone around me. And like everybody really wins. Yeah. Have you read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport? I have years ago. I I read it, I think almost too early. I don't think I was working for myself yet. I was in like the year lead up when I was like binging podcasts and reading all the audiobooks and doing all the things. And so there was, I was actually talking about the E-Myth with another friend earlier today that I read that one too early too. And so both (laughs) of those, I think I should probably revisit now that I've been actually running the business for five years, but (laughs) I have read it. What I love about deep work is that, you know, obviously we've lost the art of being able to focus deeply on something for several hours at a time and really lose yourself in the work and get in flow. And I love those periods when I am, like you just said, taking those first two to three or four hours of the day off to just do my stuff, content creation, vlogs, podcasts, whatever it may be, or just deeply thinking and strategizing. And it's amazing when you come out of it because you realize, oh, I've been completely offline pretty much. You know, I haven't checked in on anything, not been distracted by email to make me feel effective, like I'm doing something, haven't been caught up in social and discussions that probably aren't important. And I love that feeling. And that's what I want more of. So that's where I intentionally designed my work to be that way. So you get more of that done first and then you feel like a rock star and like you've won the day. And then anything after that is a bonus. Like you said, checking in on students or going through email or responding to things. So I think it's a great book for a lot of people to read, especially in this attention deficit disorder society where we are so incapable now of being able to just focus I've been even guilty in the past and luckily we're not doing this, but you know, I'll be on an interview with somebody and it's not a video interview and I can find myself talking in multitask and I'm horrified. Like, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you give this person 45 minutes of your time or, you know, and it's like, that was, I think it was late last year. And I was like, what has happened to me? Cause this never used to be the case. I've always loved to be present and aware and just there. <laughs> and yeah. And I think we've really lost that ability. Yeah. So when we're talking about some of these bigger freedom goals that might feel not immediately attainable. I think a lot of times I've heard this called the when then trap where you think like when this happens, then I'll do that. And this can be something in relation to like, I will take an action when, or it's like, I will be happy when. And the problem is that that like milestone just keeps on moving further and further away. And so you like achieve the thing that you thought was going to be, you know, the signal to take the next action, to leave your day job or to hire on such and such for your team so that you can step back and do other things. And you reach that and you're like, well, actually, no, I'm not comfortable yet enough. Like now I'm going to move that further out. So, you know, 
two years from now, when this thing happens, then I'll be ready to like do this, add this other thing to my life, hire my personal chef, whatever that is. And so I'm curious, like for the big things, how can people actually start to incorporate those into their daily lives or make plans to make those a reality that they actually follow through on? Yeah, I have to say, this is why my partner and I built something called Life Pilot for ourselves, because we were having the same trouble. Like I'm really good at looking up on my wall. I have my three-year vision for my life and business, the eight areas of my life and my mission. And it seems really great, right, to put a three-year mission up there as if it's happening now. But then how do you take that back to what do I need to do in the next year, the next quarter, the next month, the next week, and even the next day? And I think, again, it can be really paralyzing for people. They're like, well, this is my big-ass goal, but what do I do today? So that's why we built LifePilot. I think there's other systems out there, but for us, it was a methodology and tool for turning your dreams into reality one day at a time. And it's really, we've been using it for three years and I love it. But what I think it does is that it allows you to go, here's my big picture goal. So how do I take that into a year? What's the the best possible, most viable next step that would move that goal to being true? And then what do I need to do in the next quarter? And so it really is that next step that a lot of us humans miss because we don't love planning or is breaking things down until they're super manageable and, and really feasible. So let's say I want to write a book in the next 12 months. Well, suddenly you're like, okay, cool. I need to book, write a book in the next 12 months. So what's the thing that I need to do in the next quarter? Well, I probably need to pick the topic of the book and I probably need to research a little bit of what format I'd like to do it in and see what's feasible And then I need to start blocking out time in my calendar so that I can write every day or every second day, or maybe that's not possible for me. So I'll block out two weekends a month where I do four hour blocks. And suddenly it's just taking that big ass goal. And before you know it, you've written a 50,000 word manuscript and you're like, oh, okay, my book's written. Now the next step is an editor and a copy editor and then a designer. And so it's just taking the big ass goal and breaking it down into something manageable I'm unsure why so many of us can't do that. I just ran a workshop with my audience and it was plan your profitable freedom year like a boss. And we break down like the whole calendar. So we put the whole calendar up there, starting with your holidays, because I think they're the first thing to go. It's that freedom aspect. And then putting in the important things around it. And suddenly you go, I don't actually have that much time in a year if these are the big things I want. So let's stop there. And then we work backwards and put them into the quarterly goals, et cetera. And it was so freeing actually for people to go, I've never done this before and broken it down in this way that makes it feel accessible and like I can take action on it and it feels doable. And I I just think it's that extra step that we tend not to take. A lot of people love the vision and the high level picture planning, but they just don't want to follow it down to what's the nitty gritty and how can I break this down into something easy? Yeah, I think that that is an interesting question. Why do we have such a hard time doing this? And I think we all do like I, yeah, I, I think there do. are probably a few people who it comes naturally to but for most of us like it is a challenge and yet at some point you know a lot of people do find out some system that works for them to make this a reality and I think part of the the problem is like not knowing where we're going for one like not having that big picture that's obviously something for a lot of people where it, it's same with freedom it's like well I'm growing the business I am I know I'm growing my business but there's no like what am I growing it towards what is the goal of you know five years from now what do I want my business to look like and probably more profitable isn't a great answer or like more <laughs> clients or more team members or whatever it is like I think there you know, there's another level to that than than just that but so much of, of business success is measured in profit everywhere you look that that's just the the most common way to measure business success that that's what we start internalizing when there are all these other things of like 
how many hours are you working in it? What type of work are you doing it? Do you get to be like really creative and spend your time on all the visionary stuff? Or are you stuck delivering the product or service? Like, I think those are, you could be making much more money doing work that you don't like, or you could be making enough money doing the stuff that really lights you up. And those are two very different businesses. And so I think that's one of the things. But then I think we also like putting it in the calendar, kind of you said, like even even on a broad level, even on a quarterly level, like, okay, well, this is where I'm going. These are some of the things I want to do the next year. Like, let me chunk out like in three month chunks each quarter and say like, okay, this is like the one big project I'm going to focus on here. And I think that we get sidetracked so much because there's no dates attached to anything. So it's just like, well, I'm just, this is my top priority. So that's just the, the thing I'm going to work on, but there's no like deadline to it. So then that stretches into the next quarter and the next quarter. And pretty soon you're at the next year and like, well, I, I haven't really done anything with that thing that was supposed to be my top priority still. Yeah. And I think it comes back to, again, is that your priority or is it an expectation of what you think people want you to deliver? So my biggest thing that drives everything I do is my why, why I do what I do. And if if my goals and my visions aren't aligned with that, then it's fairly unlikely I'm ever going to achieve that. And I've seen that. I've seen that in, in LifePilot. We can see which goals we miss and which ones we hit. And there'll be one that'll stick on the list for just a little bit too long. And I'm like, well, either it's not important to me or I'm not making it a priority. So which one is it? And do something about it. And it's really interesting to call yourself out on that. And often it's because I chose a goal that seemed right, but wasn't actually important to me or didn't light me up. So aligning it with that why, and I know that takes time for people to do as well, but really having a strong sense of why do I do what I do and why does it light me up? And speaking to, you know, business, yeah, profit's important, but I'd far prefer to be doing rewarding work that makes an impact where I get, it's not about the feedback, but where I know I'm making a dent in people's lives and they are changing and they're empowering themselves and they're doing better. That's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, it'd be nice to be making money with that too, for sure. But if you're not enjoying it and it's not feeling in flow, it's not always going to be in flow, but if it's not in flow most of the time, then I think there's something that's missing. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind too with this of like why we get stuck on this is because we don't prioritize the planning time and also in a structured way. Like I think there's one type of planning where it's just like brainstorming big picture stuff, but there's not a structure to it. And so that can be problematic because it's it's almost bordering on daydreaming at that point. But then there's also just like sitting down and putting out, you know, spending, you know, four hours, an afternoon or like a weekend or whatever it is and planning out your next year in defined chunks. Or one of the things that I've just started doing in the past month has been every Friday doing like a weekly review. And so looking back, like, okay, I actually, it it takes some time. I think I spend like an hour, hour and a half on it, but I actually like list out where did I spend my time this week? What were the low value tasks? What were the high value tasks? And what was just everything else just kind of in the middle? And then I, I ask myself like on the low value tasks, like, why am I doing these things? Is it because I don't have the right team member in place? Is it because I have the team member, but I haven't trained them? Which is often, that's probably the most common reason is the person is there to take the, the work away. And I just haven't written up the SOP and done the, the video walkthrough or whatever it is. And doing that and being forced to like write it down and look at it at, I'm like, okay, I can clearly see like, I don't want to be doing these things. They're not high value. And here's the answer for how to fix them. So I think like taking that planning time and reflection time and going through that and and having like some kind of formula for yourself to like find out what are the things that are keeping you back from your goals and introducing more freedom to your life. And what are the things that would move you towards them? And even just like allocating your time differently that like, okay, if I know these tasks will move me towards where I want to go, I should probably find a way to spend more time doing those things and less time on the other things that are busy work. 
I love that you do that because we do a, a Sunday review, but I really love it when I do a business review each week and look at those high value, low value, because often I feel we hang out in the low value because it feels like we're being productive and getting something done, or we're really procrastinating on a bigger picture, which is I need to remove myself as the bottleneck here. I need to delegate this. And you're right. It, it is an hour, but it's probably one of the most rewarding hours of your life because I imagine over the weeks you've been doing it or months, you're probably starting to spot things pretty quickly now and able to make decisions on those and pivot pretty quick. And I think it's only going to be super beneficial in your business. And just to actually have some time to reflect on what went well, what didn't, what needs to improve. Again, I think that's something that we miss because we're so busy in the doing and moving forward and making progress. But I feel without that reflection or taking a moment to pause on what did happen, we can't really make great decisions going forward about what we want to happen. Yeah. And, and then the other thing that I think it sounds like probably similar to what you do as well is like, I'll also like there's a, a business portion to it, but there's also a personal like, you know, what did I just have fun doing this week? And I think that sometimes you look back at the end of the year, we're, we're recording this in December and I have been doing a whole bunch of like yearly reflection type stuff and I've done, gone through a workshop on it and I have such a hard time remembering like what were the personal highlights for me this year? Like what did I really have fun doing? And it just feels all like a blur and my, my mind goes to business and yet like I, I want to remember all those things. And so like writing them down and being able to go back through of like, oh man, I remember this weekend with my partner, we did this thing and it was like incredible. And like, why haven't I done that again? Like, and when you can have that to revisit it, it's like, oh wait, like I already have a lot of these amazing things in my life and I could build them in more, but I'm for whatever reason, don't acknowledge them. And so don't build them back in, in the future kind of. Mm, great spotting, right? So now, you know, you can plan that in for 2021 and beyond. Yeah. I think the more that we can sort of acknowledge and analyze, I know it sounds a bit dull, but it really does start to highlight the things that are important, what we want to do. And I guess why I like the life pilot geeky spreadsheet is you've just reminded me, I can go back now and I can look at every month. What were the goals we set and how did that feel? Cause it is across the eight areas of life, not just work. And it will be really fascinating to do that for the whole year. I'll do it with my partner at the end of this year of the time of this recording. And it's really insightful for us. It's like, huh, that was a really good moment or that holiday was great. Or that lockdown was really actually beneficial because it caused us to slow down and stop and reflect and appreciate what was important in our life. And so any method that you have that allows you to do that, a journal could be photos on your Instagram. I mean, sometimes just going through those photos going, wow, that's what we did this year. Epic, you know, really, really important. Yeah. And the other thing I would just say on that is like, actually schedule that into your calendar. Yes. Like it's so easy because that it feels like it's not important. It feels like it can wait because it's not, there's not somebody else who is asking for something from you. But uh, if it has a block in your calendar at like from four to 5 p.m. on Friday afternoon, and that's non-negotiable, like I, I put it in like a, a Google calendar event and it's like busy. So nothing can be booked then. And I'm like, this is the final thing I do before I sign off for the weekend, like get everything else done, do that. And then it's unplugged after that. And uh, it's, I think that if you can like hold to keeping those types of rituals like sacred and because they are important to you, like you have a, a greater chance of actually following through on them and, and seeing the results in the long run. Every Sunday, I send out my Listen Up newsletter to over a thousand entrepreneurs, marketers, and creatives who are seeking to grow an audience around work that means something. Each week features an article to help you reframe how you're approaching your business, along with five things I discovered the previous week that I think might help you in your life and business. Instead of another tactic or strategy to add to your never-ending to-do list, the newsletter is meant to help you rise above the noise and look at your work from a new perspective. It's best consumed sitting somewhere cozy with a cup of coffee in your hand, which is exactly how I write it. Writing this newsletter is my very favorite thing I do in my business, and it's something I'm truly proud to create and share. 
I'd be honored to send it to you and you can sign up at betterwellness.biz slash newsletter. We've talked a little bit about some of the building freedom into your daily life. I know that you are someone who has taken it to the far extreme, kind of <laughs> like we mentioned at the start. And so you have, uh, back in 2012, I think it was, you bicycled 4,000 miles across Africa over two months and uh, while you were running your business the whole time. And then more recently, you took a three-month sabbatical from your business. And so I think that this is something that sounds entirely impossible to most people who you know, work in any kind of corporate job and almost even more impossible when you have your own business and you realize I'm already working like every weekend maybe, or I'm working like 10, 12, 14 hour days or whatever, you know, when you had your, uh, your tech startup, you were talking about, like, I think it just feels like so out there that it's just ridiculous. So I'm curious about two things. What did it take to actually get that into place? And so like, what did you have to plan in advance to allow you yourself to do that? But also maybe to start, like, what were you feeling at the time that you became aware that like this was a necessary thing that needed to happen. Yeah, I think on both fronts, like the bike trip, which was a bit nuts, um, and also the sabbatical. Honestly, what I did was I I just made a decision that that's what I wanted to do, and then I booked it in my calendar. <laughs> and then I was like, well, this is a non-negotiable, especially the bike trip. Like I booked the holiday and everything. That one was interesting because it was earlier on in my business, 2012. So I'd been in business for about two and a bit years. I literally hired a virtual assistant two weeks before I went on it and went, crap, I need to hand over some important things, but everything else doesn't matter. Like, I think it was one of those moments where I was like, really, what is going to fall over in two, two and a bit months? If I'm not online at all, I told all my coaching clients at the time, Hey, this is this break. And we paused their coaching and they were all super supportive of it. I'd done enough content in advance that it was going to be scheduled out. Thanks to my VA. And she was just going to check in on my emails. If anything went wrong, she could handle it. And honestly, it was like a really good exercise in stuff. You're not actually, I think what it taught me is you're not that important. People don't care if you drop off the face of the earth for a few months. Um, Life goes on. It really, it sounds really naff, but it really was. It was like, oh, all the things that you think are urgent and need to be done. And my gosh, I've got to send that email just became so trivial. So that was a great exercise. And also just giving yourself that space and time. And it was one of the most freeing, amazing, rewarding experiences and challenging ones. And then the sabbatical was really a choice when I came back to New Zealand. And in hindsight, I probably would do it at a different time because I left the suitcase entrepreneurial life, unpacked my suitcase, bought a big house, moved in with my partner, got a dog, like couldn't have changed my life more than anything, and then gave up my business for three months. I think it was just all a little bit too much change. But it was a great time because what I really did was just reflect back on the sort of eight-year journey of my business What did I love? What did I want to carry on? What did I want to shed? Who did I want to be going forward? What skills did I want to lean into? What new ones did I want to find and and skill up in? And that's what I spent a big chunk of that three months was just learning, reading, reflecting, and just sort of soul searching into what's my next journey? What's the next decade look like? How do I want to turn up, show up, serve? Who do I want to become? What do I want to become known for? What's important to me? What's the next stage of life? So I think sabbaticals are really important. I also think they're great if you're going to go traveling on them because you get a little bit more time to just be and explore. But I chose to do it in my own backyard, which I hadn't explored for something like 14 years that I've been away from. And at times it was hard because I was like raring to go to get into business, I came up with multiple ideas and then and then reflected on all those and went, oh my gosh, and got confused. Honestly, I felt like I had an identity crisis during it, which I'm not saying was necessarily a great thing. But I think overall, in the end, it was a super positive outcome. And just taking that time for yourself to really 
go and ask the questions like what matters to me, what's important to me, who am I, how am I showing up in this world and how do I want to go out of this world is really important. So what would you say to somebody who like loves the idea of this and is saying like, well, it's not possible for me? Well, because, it is possible. And, you know, <laughs> in, input any reason that somebody might come up yeah. with. And I, I think there are, you know, plenty, some of them may be uh, more real than others, let's say. But uh, yeah, I'm curious how you would walk someone through that who's like, this feels like important and I don't know how to even approach it. I really like the idea of what can you do in the time that you're given. So if it seems scary to somebody, you know, could you do a mini sabbatical in a long weekend? Even a long weekend is a good start. Could you take a week off? A week is also a really good amount of time, especially if you're completely offline and disconnected and you're just able to sit with your thoughts. So I think for some people they're like, okay, cool. I could do 24 hours. I could do 48 hours. I could take this weekend. I could book into a little place and go away and just be by myself. Again, this offline aspect I think is really important. It's just too tempting to go online and get distracted. So I think when people do that, they see the power of just even two days of reflection and quiet time. For some, it's probably a bit scary. For some, they'll get addicted and go, oh, I want more of this. Again, it comes back to blocking stuff in your calendar. And why I do this workshop every year is to get people to put the important things in their calendar straight off the bat. Because if you don't, that time gets eaten away by other people and other people's priorities and not yours. So planning for it is important but even sometimes just three months out you can say great on that weekend or that week it's all for me I don't know if you know Barbara Corcoran or have heard of the real estate mogul Barbara Corcoran but every single month she takes a full week off and she has done for 20 something years and she's like my team knows it my customers know it everybody knows it and it's the best week of her life every month because she just gets her space and time and comes up with her best ideas and is most creative and fully re-energizes and recharges and then she powers through the next three weeks and does it again so if it becomes a rhythm in your life and something that's part of it I think it becomes easier rather than viewing it as this big one-off event that I'm doing once in my lifetime you know what if you took a sabbatical every year a full month there's a great TED talk of a guy who runs a really successful agency and every seven years they take a full year off the whole business it's like the clients know it and they just, I don't know if you've heard of that one. And I love it. I'm like a full year off your business. How awesome. I know somebody else. His name's Sean McCabe. His brand is Sean Wes. And I, they do a whole bunch of stuff. They have a bunch of like content creation courses, a membership site, all these things. But his thing is, I think it's like 777. So every seventh week he takes off, every seventh month he takes off, and then every seventh year. And I think he's been through the cycle once and is now on the second go around. So on the seventh week, does he take a week off? On the seventh month, does he take a month off? On the seventh year, he takes a year off? Yeah. Okay, cool. Something like that. So yeah, it's a it's a long, long-term cycle. But I remember hearing about that a couple of years ago and was fascinated by it and have been like thinking about it more and more. And I know that one of the things that I do on a I haven't utilized this as much as I could, but at the end of every month, just in my Google calendar, I block it off as like an implementation week. And so no calls can be booked. And so I'm still kind of working, but I potentially could take it off and I, I don't have any like hard commitments from people that I need to be on a call at this time or I'm like teaching, you know, some lesson on something at this time or I'm doing, you know, live videos or, or whatever, anything like that. And so initially when I set it up, it was like, well, this is going to be my one meet week each month where I can like just really go hard and work on my stuff without all these other distractions. Because for me, calls just always disrupt the flow of things. And a lot of times, like I love the people I'm talking with. I love doing podcast interviews. And sometimes they're just hard to plan other things around when you just want big chunks of time to just dig into all that stuff that gets pushed mm -hmm. off the rest of the month. And so that's something that I've done now for a few months, but I'm going into 2021. I'm looking at like, 
okay, I think I need to start actually just taking some of those off. They're already booked off. Mm -hmm. And as long as I kind of tell people in advance, like, hey, I'm offline next week. Like we were talking about earlier, I I know I need to convince myself of this, that like, I don't need to be online every single day of the month or every weekday of the month. And that my clients will be fine without me. My team is fine without me for one week. And probably the more I do it, the better everyone else is going to get at managing that week as well. Probably to the point where, you know, I'm going to realize and they're going to realize like, oh, we don't actually need Jeremy at all as much as we thought. And then (laughs) I might even have more freedom in the future. (laughs) You heard it here, folks. I'd love it that by the time this interview comes out, you've already started instigating that for 2021. And it's become a part of your work because I I love that. I think you'd find that it would be so powerful that whole week to just implement and strategize. I think, as you said, your team would become more responsible for what they're doing. Your clients would respect it more. You'd be more energized. I think it'd be amazing. And it's just a matter of blocking it in and then honoring your commitment to yourself and to your word. That's the biggest thing. I think for anybody listening, for me, it's just make the choice and then honor it. It's There's so much about being impeccable with your word. The Four Agreements is such a good book, and that's one of the biggest things is just if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you (laughs) want to be a certain way, if you want to act a certain way, if you want to turn up, show up, commit to something, just keep your word and keep your commitment to yourself. And I think so many of us, again, have lost that art. We get taken over by other people's demands or concerns, and I think we just have to stand really true to what's once again important to us because it will serve everybody else in the long run too. So I look forward to you doing that or just go biking for like (laughs) two months in really far out places where there's zero Wi-Fi and then you quickly learn how unimportant it is. I don't know that we've talked about this in the past, but I did a a three-month cycle tour through Europe uh, in 2014 and every year that goes by, it becomes like more and more like it's crowding and I'm like, I need to do that again. It's Mm. like my excuses for not doing it start to feel a little weaker with each year. I'm like, no, it's becoming, it's creeping back in. It's becoming more and more important. I need to do this. And uh, the guy I did it with one of my best friends, uh, Hamilton, he's done like four more big tours in the time since we did that one. And I've done one little like week long one in, uh, in Ireland uh, a few years ago. And that one I did while I was working, but it was kind of a stressful week. And it was in Ireland and January, I think, or December. So oh. it was really like the weather was poor. And, um, also, I was, yeah. It was, so that one was like maybe not quite the ideal uh, cycle touring conditions. I still had a, an amazing time, but that is just will always be one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And talk about like building self confidence and self sufficiency when you like, you know, camp off the highway somewhere every night and like need to, you just build this routine and that you're like completely human powered traveling. There's nothing else that you are relying on. And, uh, I feel like I took so much away from that experience and uh, I'm guessing that the same was true for you as well. Yeah, it was just so beautiful to get up every morning and just get on that bike and go. And Mm -hmm. you sort of knew where you were going and you just pedaled one foot in front of the other and just took it all in. It was incredibly freeing and sometimes exhausting, but it was just never felt so free during that period ever. It's very different to triathlon training, which I did, where you're like, have to go out on this three hour ride and mail it. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't the kind of, this isn't the cycling that I enjoy as much. So just to kind of close out this conversation on freedom, I'm curious what freedom means for you these days uh, with the point that you're at in your life and business right now. Yeah, such a good, good prompt. For me, it often used to be to be able to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, wherever I want. And I think in some ways that's still true. But for me, it is really about the power of choice. So being able to make the decisions that serve me and others and then just act on them, I think that is true freedom, along with being able to take time off and knowing that the team and the business is running and that 
as you said, you're not the central important figure of it and just being okay with that decision and feeling no guilt, feeling no shame, feeling no stress, feeling no lack of. Um, that I think when I get to that point regularly and it's a no brainer, that is, to me will be true freedom because that means you're in control of the things you can control because you can't control everything and that that allows you to do what you really, really wish to do and what lights you up and what makes the biggest, as I said, impact, I think, for you personally and others. I love that. So the last question, I always like to uh, say that this is a show that is is really about building a better world disguised as a show about building better wellness businesses. <laughs> and so I'm curious when you hear the phrase building better, what does that call to mind for you? Ooh. I'm a big fan of being a leading learner. So somebody who's always learning and then leading just a few steps ahead of somebody else. So in my mind, you know, great changes don't happen overnight. It's about small incremental daily consistent actions of building something better, whether that's yourself, your attitude, the things that you are creating. So for me, building better is one day at a time, just always wanting to improve and enjoy the process, enjoy the journey. I mentioned at the start of this episode that I'd been a fan of Natalie's for a long time. We were actually connected by my coach, Jamie, leading up to this interview and have since had a handful of other conversations. I really appreciate Natalie's balanced, holistic approach to life and business and always walk away from our conversations feeling seen, heard, and energized. You can connect with Natalie further by heading over to nataliesisson.com and searching for her podcast, Untapped, wherever you listen to podcasts. She also mentioned her LifePilot planning system a number of times. You can find that at lifepilot.co. Of course, you can find all these links and more in the show notes for this episode at betterwellness.biz slash 029. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Tom Kelly for sound engineering support, Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind-the-scenes work, keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. Finally, to you listening, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and until next time, keep building better.